millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chief Petty Officer Marcus Kane had seen it all during his years as a Navy SEAL. He had faced enemy combatants in the most treacherous of terrains, overcome the odds in countless missions, and earned a reputation as a fearless and unflinching leader. Yet nothing could have prepared him for what he and his team were about to encounter deep within the remote coastal regions of Iraq, tasked with a classified mission to gather intelligence on an extremist group that had been causing havoc in the region, Kane's team prepared to deploy under the cover of darkness. The moon hung low in the sky, casting an eerie glow over the jungle as they began their infiltration. The team moved with the precision of a well-oiled machine, each member relying on their training and instincts to navigate the hostile terrain. As the mission unfolded, however, strange occurrences began to unsettle the team. Bizarre symbols etched into the trees seemed to appear out of nowhere, sending a shiver down the spines of the seals. 
whispers, faint but unmistakable, echoed through the night air, filling their ears with an unsettling presence that defied explanation. Equipment that had always been reliable suddenly malfunctioned without reason, adding to the growing sense of unease. Kane's experience and leadership were put to the test as tensions rose within the team. He knew that maintaining cohesion was vital, but the psychological toll of the inexplicable events was taking its toll on even the most seasoned warriors. Late one night, as the team huddled around a dimly lit fire, Kane could see the fear in their eyes. He knew he had to find a way to restore their confidence and address the growing uncertainty that was eroding their trust in their own senses. Then came the encounter that would change everything. It was during a routine patrol that one of the SEALs managed to capture shaky footage of a creature unlike anything they had ever seen. The footage showed a face covered in brown fur with a mouth that was barely discernible from the distance of the camera. The creature's head bore the unmistakable dome shape and sloping forehead associated with gorillas. It was as if a Bigfoot creature had come to life before their eyes. Fear turned into a collective determination. The seals shifted from being the hunted to becoming the hunters. They knew they couldn't allow this unknown predator to continue plaguing their mission and sowing terror among their ranks. Armed with their training, experience, and a newfound sense of purpose, the team embarked on a relentless pursuit of the creature. The pursuit led them deeper into the heart of the jungle where the line between reality and the supernatural seemed to blur. Kane found himself grappling with skepticism and a sense of awe as the evidence of the creature's existence mounted. The symbols, the whispers, and the encounters all pointed to a reality that challenged his understanding of the world. With each step, the tension grew. The juxtaposition of elite warriors facing an enigmatic and potentially supernatural foe created a gripping sense of urgency. As the team closed in on the creature's lair, the final confrontation became inevitable. In a climactic battle that tested their limits, the seals faced off against the creature. Bullets and adrenaline flowed in equal measure as they fought to overcome an adversary that defied rational explanation. Kane's leadership, tempered by years of experience and his newfound openness to the unknown, guided the team through the perilous encounter. When the battle was over, the creature lay defeated, its existence now. An unsettling memory. As the team regrouped and made their way back to safety, they carried with them a story that defied easy explanation. They had faced the inexplicable, navigated the horrors of the unknown and emerged victorious not only as warriors, but as witnesses to a truth that expanded their understanding of the world. First, let me just say I'm a former United States park ranger. I've been assigned to various parks all throughout the United States of America. Back in 1991, I was assigned to the Isle Royale National Park in Lake Superior. It was my job to patrol almost 100 miles of backcountry and write reports on the conditions of several trails. I would rotate my patrol route every couple of weeks to avoid getting too familiar with the backcountry and kept myself alert. During the first part of late August, I rotated to the west end of the island, 
to the Greenstone area. The Greenstone is located on the northeastern part of the island. It is like a pile of massive rocks on a point overlooking Lake Greenstone Cove. The area around this point is a well-known spot for the Native Americans for making tools and other items from the Greenstone and for fishing. The area is also reputed to be very haunted, and some of the stories are quite horrifying. This place is covered in very thick spruce forest, and there are only a couple of trails that even cut through. One of the trails is called the Greenstone Shore Trail. It cuts through the forest and is on the shore of the lake. It is a very isolated area, and the only way in or out of the area is by barge or via the Greenstone Shore Trail. So I was patrolling the southern point of the trail when I came across a clearing. I stood there and began to hear a very strange noise. The noise sounded like a long, low moan that changed to a very loud, sputtering noise. I stood there and listened for a few more moments and decided that I'd better go check it out. I walked into the clearing, scanning the area. I could see a series of old fire pits in the area and something dark lying on the ground about 50 feet away. It was heavy. Whatever this was, which I initially thought was a bear, turned out to be on four legs. So I took up my binoculars and looked, but couldn't really see any details on the animal. I thought it might be a bear, but its shape was beginning to look too big. I stood there for a while as it was still sputtering and moaning, and keep in mind, it was kind of tucked away in tall grass. I began to believe that maybe this was a sick or injured bear or animal. So I ventured around to see if I could get a better view by getting closer to it without directly in its line of sight. When I did, the animal disappeared entirely, but the groaning sound stayed. There's no way something this large could have gotten up and disappeared from my sight that easily. Something was off. I could feel it. After it disappeared, the woods around me went completely silent, and I had this creeping feeling in my stomach that I needed to leave now and that I was in imminent danger. And then the horrifying thought raced in my brain. What if it was a ploy? What if I was dealing with a large predator, and that was just a way to lure me into the open? where I'd be more vulnerable. As these thoughts went through my head, I did not think rationally or clearly. I just got out of the area and did my best to quell my emotions. Now, two days after the incident in question, I was in the ranger station filling out reports when the dispatcher began yelling for me to come over the radio. It was a message from the Greenstone Ranger Station. There had been an accident a couple of miles north of the Greenstone Station, and they required my assistance. I got on the boat and headed over there. I met two other boats from the station, and we headed to where the accident occurred. Apparently, four people in the accident who were injured were being chased by some large black animal that they were convinced was Bigfoot. They explained that it had a large snout, huge teeth, and large claws. We took their statements. They were so scared and shaken up they had an accident by getting into their boat, smacking it into each other. Unfortunately, they're all okay with only minor injuries, but the boats, well, that's a different story. I often reflect back and wonder if there's any correlation to the large figure I saw. In the tall grass there in that meadow and what they described as seeing from the distance, I was at it. It was really hard to tell what exactly I was looking at.
Even though it resembled a bear, I could tell it was a large animal, but because of how it was laying and how much of its body was truly concealed, there was no way to really know what it was for sure, unless I got closer. But the strange groaning and moaning sounds, I'm not sure how to describe it or really write it off or rationalize it. I've heard bears make noise, even deer dying and injured, but this was different. It was so bassy in tone, and the sound was different. I guess it's safe to say that I'm a little creeped out by the whole thing. And after taking these witnesses' statements, I really don't believe them to be making up stories. They were all visibly shaken. The one man, the bigger, older man, was actually shaking really bad, and he almost had tears in his eyes as we were all detailing the same story. Even though this was many years ago now, it sticks with me just like it happened last week. I have to preface this story by saying that what I'm about to recount is a true story. I know it sounds like something out of a horror movie, but I assure you, every word I'm about to share is as real as the road I drive on. My name is Jack, and I've been a trucker for over a decade. I've seen my fair share of strange things on the open road. So it was a usual route for me, driving along a desolate highway late at night. The moon was obscured by heavy clouds casting an eerie glow over the barren landscape. That's when I saw him, standing on the side of the road, thumb outstretched. The hitchhiker seemed ordinary enough at first glance, dressed in worn-out jeans and a tattered jacket. With a sigh, I decided to offer him a ride. Little did I know, that decision would alter the course of my life forever. As the journey progressed, I couldn't shake an unsettling feeling. Strange occurrences began to unfold, and I started to question my decision to pick up this hitchhiker. The air in the cab grew heavy with an otherworldly presence, and I caught glimpses of an unnatural shadow out of the corner of my eye. It was as if the very fabric of reality was shifting around us. Then, without warning, the hitchhiker's face twisted in agony, and he vomited onto the floor of the truck. I immediately pulled over, concern etched across my face. Are you okay? I asked, my voice trembling with worry. But as I glanced at him, something unfathomable happened. The hitchhiker's body convulsed and contorted in an inhuman manner. His form began to change before my eyes, morphing into a creature that defied all logic. It was a creature I struggled to find words to describe, but I'll do my best. It was completely white, bald, impossibly thin, and its humanoid shape lacked any discernible facial features. No eyes, no nose, nothing. It loomed over me, crouched in a position that made its true height difficult to determine. But let me tell you, it was towering at least nine feet tall. Fear coursed through my veins, overpowering any sense of rationality. In a panic, I threw open the door and sprinted as fast as my trembling legs could carry me. I didn't look back. I didn't dare. Only after what felt like an eternity did I finally slow down and catch my breath. But the creature was nowhere in sight that hadn't followed me. After gathering my wits, I cautiously made my way back to the truck. My heart sank as I realized it was empty, as if the hitchhiker and the creature had vanished into thin air.
Confusion and dread consumed me. To this day, I can't explain what I saw or what became of the hitchhiker or the creature. All I know is that my encounter that night was undeniably real. Growing up, we had a big house on the water set back a couple acres from the road. Most of the land around us was swamp, and when I was 14, my dog brought up part of a human arm. Mom and I were binging heroes, 2007, and Biscuit got out. We ignored him, and I saw the dog rush past the library window with what looked like a big old fish swinging in his jaw. I go on to bed, and she hollers for me and comes to my room wide-eyed. I don't what this is. I go out and it's past the truck and garage and the wide empty space that was there. I shine a light on it and am not quite sure what I'm seeing. It's a piece of flesh with three little bones sticking out of one end. My vision does a complete 360 and I curse and look at Mom who looks terrified. Ma, you need to call the cops. The police show up, poke it with a stick then put it in a bag and hold it out the window as they drove to the substation. We later heard reports on CNN about people being cut up and their bodies strewn all along the panhandle. The arm was large and flabby with what looked like a small pox scar. Our area used to be a hiding place for criminals and bodies. People used to find corspies in their yards after heavy rains. We even had a guy break out of prison transport and run through our yard in the middle of the night. Gotta love Florida. I was around 15 years old and lived, and still living there, in a wonderful Bavarian landscape in a small village. As you might know, we in Bavaria are proud of our tradition and our beer, and so we had something what you would call a party or carnival, only for people of our village. As I was a cool boy in our village, I told the other kids what we can play. We played football, soccer, first, but I got bored and asked my friends if we were going to run around the village and play with our wooden, and a friend of mine even had a soft air, just a weak one though guns. So we went into barns and, and all that stuff and shoot each other. It was great fun. Till one point we were in a barn of an old farmer, but everyone liked him cause he always gave sweets and told us funny things. He was 80, three at that point. One room of the barn was the old slaughter room. When we played in there in front of us was an old door, but it was locked but I could have sworn I heard something like a quiet clicking. Generally, it was a really old barn, and my dad told me that it has some underground tunnels and rooms cause of the World War II. The years did pass, and the old man died. His wife died almost ten years ago, and the only son and heir decided to demolish the old barn. What they found in the room with the locked door is still kind of a mystery in police. And news were all at the place, but nobody besides the police and the special teams knew what it was. Later, the newspapers got the information that there was an old bomb of the Y.E. But fortunately, my dad helped the son with the work and saw it first together with the son. He never told me till a few months ago. Until that day... Only few people knew the real story. 
He basically built something like a throne of old wee souvenirs as a national coat of arms and pictures of Hitler. There were old radios and metal of Nazis, and a lot of letters in which he wrote about operate behind enemy lines and in which he wrote to his wife, and that she has to be quiet. In the middle of the room there was the bomb, and it was indeed still ting in one of the best-obtained bombs of the World War, and is now in a museum. Defused. No one knew he was that guy. I was so shocked, and I can only tell you that people in our village still tell rumors about more tunnels and hidden rooms. I was on my golf cart by myself, and it was completely dark outside and quiet. I live in a neighborhood surrounded by farmland and woods throughout various spots. I was driving but pulled over because this giant beetle was on my shirt. It pinched me and freaked me out. I pulled over next to a stretch of woods and struggled to get it off of me. In the woods nearby, I heard walking, like perhaps a deer walking around, so I wasn't scared. Yet the sounds got louder and closer. The walking had gotten so loud it sounded unreal, something out of Jurassic Park, like a dinosaur stomping. The walking had gotten overwhelmingly loud and extremely close, so I slammed on the gas and get the F out. I looked behind me but couldn't see anything, but felt shivers down my spine because I swear it was inches behind me. Not sure if this has anything to do with it, but I was talking about skinwalkers with my sister and doing some research, so I hope that didn't invite anything. But I can't even describe how loud the stomping was. It sounded unreal and was seriously terrifying. I was walking down a little dirt road at daylight. I was elk scouting when I come out into the edge of the clear, cut the bottom of the hill. I just started out where I could see the top, which the road I was on led up when I seen some movement. I watched for a second and could not believe my eyes. At first it almost looked like the bears standing up on their hind legs facing each other. They were at about 300 yards. I put my binoculars on them, and I witnessed what seemed to be two young Bigfoot playing. I watched them jump around, chasing each other, and jump up and hit their hands together for about a minute. Then all of a sudden, they both just stopped and walked off together into the thick trees. They were about five and a half feet tall, with hands down to almost their knees, with long brown hair. They looked just like pictures I seen in Walla Walla, Washington, sightings like two years later. I was leading my team of Navy SEALs on a top-secret mission deep in enemy territory in Iraq. The assignment was clear. Infiltrate a hostile country, gather crucial intelligence, and extract a high-value target, a U.S. Diplomat threatened by Saddam Hussein's henchmen. As we moved through the treacherous terrain, I couldn't help but feel a mix of excitement and tension. The adrenaline surged through my veins as we approached our objective. Our team was composed of skilled and dedicated individuals, each with their own unique traits. Among us was Bruce, an exceptional soldier who had a hidden talent. When he wasn't fighting on the battlefield, Bruce would occasionally entertain us with his rock guitar skills during our downtime. 
It was his way of bringing a touch of normalcy to our demanding lives. As we executed the mission, we encountered relentless opposition from a well-trained enemy force. They were determined to protect their leader and maintain control over the region. It seemed like every step we took was met with gunfire and strategic ambushes. But we were Navy SEALs trained to overcome any obstacle thrown our way. However, our journey took an unexpected turn when we discovered that the supposed weapon of mass destruction we were tasked to locate didn't exist. It was a false lead, a deception that had led us into this dangerous territory. Doubt began to creep into our minds as we questioned the validity of our mission. Were we being used as pawns in a larger political game? Anyway, that's not why I'm telling you this story. So, listen up. During one intense raid on a local house, as we stormed through rooms and cleared them one by one, I found myself face to face with something that defied explanation. In a locked room, I caught a glimpse of a bizarre creature. The only way I can describe the legs of it is like that goat or human hybrid from the Narnia movie, but with the torso like a hybrid of man and canine. It was taller than me, and I'm tall. Its outline and coat were pitch black, blacker than anything I've seen before. Its eyes piercing and filled with an unknown intelligence seemed to lock onto mine for a split second before chaos erupted. The creature swiftly tackled me and, with incredible strength, managed to break free from my grasp. It vanished into the chaos of the firefight as I struggled to regain my composure. Confusion and shock overwhelmed me as I tried to comprehend what I'd just witnessed. But in the midst of the ongoing battle, I made a difficult decision. Pursuing the creature was not a priority. Our main focus had to be on completing our mission and ensuring the safety of our team. Eventually, we managed to escape the compound with our target in tow, making our way to the outskirts, where we were picked up by an army helicopter. As we soared through the skies, I couldn't shake off the image of that strange creature from my mind. When I questioned the other members of the team about it, they seemed puzzled. None of them had seen any such creature during the operation. It left me wondering if what I had witnessed was real or merely a figment of my imagination in the heat of battle. I work as a seasonal park ranger here at Lassen National Park in California. One Friday afternoon, my brother and I, who were working together, came across a pile of scat that we thought was a goat's, but we knew it was not mountain goat feces. It looked different. We've seen mountain goats around here before, and the scat was much larger and darker in color. It appeared fresh and still kind of wet. We have no idea what this could have been. There are no other animals in the park that produce scat this large. We've also had people report to us that there is a massive black wolf in the park that's twice the size of a regular wolf. People have claimed that it had red eyes and was the size of a large, large Great Dane. And this, of course, has still been unconfirmed. I have seen a lot of strange things in the park myself that I have no explanation for what they could be. There was even a woman who had reported seeing what she referred to as Goatman, but after going on a search, we could not find anything. 
Of course, as weird as it is when we go looking for these things, the woods always seem to have a way of going quiet and getting this feeling like you're being watched. Now, that might just be my paranoia, but I feel a little more level-headed than letting my paranoia control me like that and just imagining things. I'm not exactly sure what all these sightings are about, and I simply don't believe they're all just simply misidentifications. In speaking of which, there is a gentleman I spoke to about seven months ago who was over on the east section of the park and at one point or another was actually attacked by what he describes as a bipedal coyote or wolf. He wasn't sure which. This thing actually tore aside in his tent during the nighttime while he was sleeping and attacked him. It tore his arm pretty well. Unfortunately, he did not have to lose his arm, and they were able to save it. But he shot this thing right in the face multiple times until it finally fled. He said had he not been heavily armed with his Glock, he has no idea what would have happened. He probably would not be alive. He said this creature looked evil and was very, very big, but he kept saying coyote more than wolf and said it looked very human in the way its eyes looked. Not in a literal sense, he described, but the intelligence, the intent behind what it was doing. He described it as if it was wanting to not only hurt him, but know that it wanted to hurt him. This, simply put, was just evil. Our incident took place in January 2017. We had just moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. My wife and I were newlyweds from a small community in the Midwest. Being naive and new to living in the city, I would answer the door without giving it a second thought. Never again. There were several loud knocks at six. Zero in the morning, which was unusual, and it should have dawned on me to be cautious. My wife and I had been getting ready for work, a pretty regular routine. The moment I opened the door, I was feeling a strange rush of fear and foreboding. There stood a teenage boy of average height and build with a black leather coat, black hair, and sunglasses. The sunglasses at 6 a.m. struck me as odd. Then I noticed he was eating a pear. He simply asked if he could come in and warm up. I said, sorry, but no. I closed the door and slid the security chain into place. A few minutes later, another knock. I opened the now-chained door, and before I could speak, he asked again if he could come in and warm up. I replied no, and attempted to close the door. Before the door could shut, he put his hand out and abruptly stopped the door, as if he had no issue with getting his fingers smashed against the frame. He looked at me, still wearing his sunglasses, and said, Can I at least get something to wipe my hands? I said, Get the hell out to here. My wife is calling the police. He smiles, lowers his glasses, revealing eyes as black and shiny as obsidian, and says, No, you won't be calling anybody. At that moment, I force the door closed, lock it, and call out to my wife. She was totally freaked out by this time while hiding in the bedroom. I rip the curtains back to look out the window next to the door. He's gone. Absolutely no trace of him. I go out on the patio and check the gate. It's still latched from the inside. I look up and down the street. Nothing. Then I look down. There's a half-eaten pear lying on the sidewalk.
Driving one night, I went down the country road my aunt lived on at the time. She had llamas, and even though they were off to the side and it was nighttime, I could still see them well enough with the glow of the headlights illuminating to the sides. I could see their fur, the colors, and patterns. Right then, and I noticed in front of my car was a very tall, solid black figure, slim with long arms, and its eyes reflected the headlights. If I could see the fur of the llamas without direct light on them, I definitely know with this thing right in front of me that it had no texture, just solid black except those eyes. It walked off the road into the woods. We live outside of Houston, Texas. My wife and I were at home and in our backyard. It was a beautiful, cloudy day on 10-20-1-2020-1. I first noticed one cloud stop while the rest moved on. I asked my wife to watch it as well. We noticed a swirl in the cloud until it opened. I'm not sure if it was a portal, but it grabbed my attention. Three figures flew out of the opening and then transformed into human form. They were light, skinned with long hair with fitted outfits that resembled the villainous characters from Superman 2. They hovered in front of the portal area as if to be checking something. We noticed the windows of the craft, which caused us to also notice the doorway of the ship open. We then observed the other beings in the background of the doorway as if they were riding on a train or subway. We saw two of the human-like figures go back inside and walk down stairway into the inside and fade away as they went down the stairs. The remaining figure began to look at us. We felt the intuition of knowing that they were intentionally showing themselves to us for whatever reason. The last figure flew inside the portal and entered the craft's doorway. He touched the open part of the portal and swiped it with his hand, and the portal began to close as if automated. The cloud begins to swirl. It then faded away and simply vanished. We remained in the yard and were discussing what we had witnessed. About an hour later, as we were sitting on our patio, a black SUV pulled into our driveway. Two men dressed in all black clothing and sunglasses got out of the SUV and walked toward us. The lead man didn't greet us, but immediately asked if we had reported what we had witnessed in the sky. We were shocked. We responded that we had not reported the event. I then asked them who they were. They didn't answer. They both turned and got back into the SUV and pulled away. That was the last time either of us have seen them. I will mention that the man spoke in a monotone voice that was somewhat high-pitched in tone. Their skin color was weirdly opaque as well. In fact, the two men looked like they could have been twins. I still have no explanation. Do you believe that these were what people refer to as men in black? Something pretty crazy happened to my best friend and I about six years ago. It was the summer after we graduated high school, so we were in that transition phase between high school and college. No responsibilities. No worries. We played a shit ton of video games during the day, took spur-of-the-moment road trips to a bunch of places, and often stayed up all hours of the night. Late one particular night, we were driving around in my friend's dad's old Volvo, and we stumbled upon the entrance to a nearby canyon we had never heard of or been to. 
By this time, it was about three in the morning, but we were curious, so we started heading up the road. We were in high spirits. Music loud, cracking jokes in weird accents, the usual, but down the road we see this sign. It was one of those cement road barriers. There was a number of them parallel to the road, but this one was placed perpendicular, and it said no camping in X Canyon, in red spray paint. My friend and I looked at each other. We thought that was a little weird, with most of the nearby canyons, whichever government entity that maintains them has official metal or wood signs erected, but it wasn't anything too out of the ordinary. So we shrugged it off and kept going. At the base of the canyon, it was mostly meadows with low bushes, but further in, it became much more wooded. The scrub oak had grown tall over the road, creating a sort of tunnel. It was beginning to feel a little eerie and claustrophobic, but we weren't the skittish type. We both acknowledged the creep factor of the canyon and kept driving. Then another sign. This time it's plywood nailed to a tree, said the same thing. No camping. Red spray paint. Again, we're thinking, what the hell is with this place? So now we're both fairly sketched out, but we didn't really know why. Yes, the makeshift signs were odd, but maybe whoever maintained the canyon just hadn't gotten the official signs put up yet. Yes, the forest had a spooky vibe, but don't all forests feel like that at night? So again, we kept going. But the further in we went, the less we talked until we both didn't really say anything. Then it happened. Up ahead, through the scraggly tree branches, we see this light, a campfire. We slow down. My friend asked me what time it is, so I checked my watch. 3.45 a.m. You know that oh shit feeling of deep, intense dread? Instantaneously, we both have it. I say we need to turn around, but the canyon road is too narrow. So my friend just starts saying shit over and over as he drives forward. Looking back, I'm not sure why we didn't just floor it, driving past the fire, but I think despite the fear, we both had to know what was going on. So we drive up pretty slow, going maybe 10, 15 miles per hour. The first thing that came into view was a bunch of cars parked in this clearing, just at the edge of the firelight. Then in the middle of the clearing, we see the campfire, and a group of seven, eight figures standing around it in a loose circle. They weren't wearing anything strange. They didn't seem to have any weapons. They didn't seem to be anything other than wood burning in the fire. But there were no tents, no camping chairs, and every single one of them were frozen in place, staring at us as we passed. The second we get beyond view, my friend and I lost our marbles. I screamed at him to floor it, so he hit the gas until we came to a turnout just a little down the road, where my buddy made a miraculous U-turn. However, I do vaguely remember almost careening off a cliff. At any rate, we came flying back down the road, and again, we see the fire coming up quick. Keep in mind, it's only been a minute, maybe a minute and a half since we first drove past. The clearing came into view, and I shit you not, everyone is gone. The cars are still there. The fire is still there, but every single one of the figures is just straight up gone. We didn't call the police or even really talk about it much after that until several weeks later we decided to go back in the daytime just to see what was there. But when we got to the bottom of the canyon, 
Those same cement barriers were now placed across the road, blocking the entrance. The one with red spray paint was conspicuously missing. Posted on one of the barriers was a metal sign that read X Canyon, closed due to ongoing police investigation. When I was like nine or ten years old, my mother and my grandmother, we all went on a picnic out in the country to this lake. It was getting dark, and we decided to leave. My grandmother took the wrong turn, and she didn't realize it. We were traveling down this dirt road for a long ways. She realized that we had gone the wrong way, and we pulled up to this driveway. By this time, it was night, and there was a glowing pillar that we noticed off the side of the road. It was like a bluish-white pillar, and we started driving up closer to it, and I remember my mother started screaming. Back the car up, and she started beating her hands on the dashboard, and we could see that it was an apparition of a woman, and it was drifting towards the car. And so we got the heck out of there. All three of us seen it. I, as the witness in this unsettling incident, consider myself a level-headed and respected individual. It was upon returning home that I noticed something peculiar, a bright green coin-like circle hovering in the air above the refrigerator. Initially, I dismissed it as a portable flashlight accidentally left switched on by my wife. However, when I inquired about it, she denied any involvement. My gaze returned to the mysterious green light, and to my astonishment, it seemed to be growing in size and intensity. Suddenly, the object began to move, performing intricate circular motions as it flew around me in a bewildering trajectory. Heat emanated from the light, accompanied by an eerie whistling sound. To my disbelief, the green light expanded further, transforming into the shape of a human-like head. Overwhelmed, I feared that my sanity was slipping away and turned my face to the wall, seeking solace in prayer to Allah. Despite my fervent prayers, when I cautiously glanced over my shoulder, the image persisted before me, a humanoid form covered entirely in dense fur, resembling an ape. It stood tall with powerful shoulders and a muscular physique. Its single eye, positioned in the middle of its forehead, emitted a penetrating red beam, akin to that of a flashlight. The entity lacked a neck, and its head sat squarely atop its robust frame. As the intruder began to float just above the floor, advancing towards the room where my children were peacefully sleeping, panic surged within me. Hastily, I rushed ahead of the entity, reaching my children in time to shield them with my own body. In that harrowing moment, I found solace in prayer once again, beseeching Allah to protect me and my precious children from this hairy monster. The creature floated towards the bed, briefly covering us before picking us up and swiftly placing us back down, unharmed. It then retreated, standing motionless at a distance from the bed. Though the humanoid did not make any threatening gestures, I trembled in sheer horror, hiding my head under the safety of the bedsheets, continuing my earnest prayers. Soon thereafter, the doors creaked and a loud slamming sound echoed through the apartment, awakening my wife. Her presence confirmed the reality of the encounter, as she, too, attested to never experiencing any hallucinations.
The memory of that night plagued me. The fear of the creature's return and potential abduction of myself and my children lingering in my thoughts. Eventually, we made the decision to move to another apartment, seeking solace and distance from the haunting events that had transpired. As my wife and I drove through the rain, soaked, isolated area, a peculiar sight unfolded before us. It resembled an accident scene, with numerous flashing lights casting an eerie glow. Intrigued by the commotion, I instinctively slowed down, hoping to offer assistance. As we drew nearer, what we initially mistook for an ambulance revealed itself to be an object resembling a large soda can, lying on its side, propped up by three peculiar legs. Its creamy color took on an otherworldly appearance, accentuated by a vibrant red halo encircling it. The air buzzed with flashing lights emanating from the enigmatic craft. Caught up in our fascination, my wife suddenly let out a blood-curdling scream, jolting my attention away from the object. I turned around to see two figures approaching our car, their presence unnerving. These beings, best described as bug-like, boasted heads reminiscent of praying mantises, yet their bodies retained a humanoid form encased in bluish-gray jumpsuits. Fear gripped us as the unimaginable came into focus. Driven by terror, I, armed with a gun, instinctively reached for my weapon and discharged two shots towards the road, hoping to create a deterrent. The sudden commotion seemed to startle the alien figures, compelling them to retreat hastily toward their cylindrical craft, which had landed nearby. Realizing the gravity of the situation, I floored the accelerator, the tires screeching as we raced away from the unfolding scene. As I glanced back in my rearview mirror, my heart sank. Additional humanoid figures resembling the ones we encountered gathered around the craft. Their numbers grew to about nine or ten, standing as silent sentinels, while the object remained motionless. We could only imagine the secrets it held. It was a sight that defied explanation, one that etched an indelible mark of disbelief and fear upon our souls. The craft, however, offered us no answers as it stayed rooted to the spot, concealing its mysteries from our bewildered gazes. We escaped its presence, but the encounter left us forever questioning the nature of the unknown, forever wary of the potential truths lurking beyond our comprehension. As I stood atop the Neolithic mound on that crisp, clear afternoon and accompanied by my husband Philip and our eight-year-old son Edward, I anticipated a moment of tranquility and awe. However, my solitude was abruptly shattered when I spotted a group of people approaching the site from the northwest, traversing the adjacent field. At first, there appeared to be around five individuals, with one smaller figure leading the way and the others forming two pairs. They marched purposefully towards Bela Snap along the field boundary, dressed uniformly in dark grayish-black attire. Their pale oval faces peeked out from beneath pointed hoods, their features translucent and ethereal. They drew nearer only a few hundred yards away, and my disappointment grew. My attention momentarily wavered as my son Edward demanded my attention. When I looked back towards the approaching group, 
a jolt of surprise coursed through me. More figures had emerged, joining the procession. I urgently informed my husband, emphasizing that there were now hundreds of people coming our way. Impatiently, I urged him to hurry, for at least a dozen of them seemed to be purposefully advancing towards our location. These new arrivals seemed to materialize from the shadowy recesses of the overhanging evergreen trees and bushes, nestled between the two nearby fields. Every figure sported a hood, maintaining a steady pace behind the smaller leading figure. From my vantage point, I deduced that the front figure must have been a child, approximately twelve years old, as they stood only half the height of their companions. Curiously, I could not discern any part of their bodies below knee level, as if they were wading through long, pale, dead grass that obscured their lower limbs. They marched in unison, closely hugging the hedge line, never once turning towards their companions. Despite their vigorous stride, they appeared to remain in the same position within the field. Their progress towards the long barrel seemed halted as if they were traversing a slope, descending into a ditch before ascending on the other side. Growing annoyed by their intrusion, I cast one final glance in their direction before deliberately turning my back and making my way to the opposite end of the mound. Yet to my disturbance as I reached my destination, they seemed even further away than before, persisting in their resolute advance. I rejoined my son and husband, the latter having completed his photographic endeavors. However, to our surprise, as Philip climbed the mound to take a look, we discovered that the group had vanished without a trace. A sense of unease settled within me leaving me to ponder the enigmatic encounter. What had transpired on that ancient mound, and where had the hooded figures vanished to? The memory of that day, the inexplicable march of the silent procession, remains etched in my mind, forever a reminder of the mysteries that dwell within the folds of time and space. Some context. This happened a couple years back. I live in a pre-war building in a big city. It is, I believe, 15 floors higher so. The highest floor is labeled PH on the elevator. I live on the ninth floor. I went in the elevator alone, pressed the button as I always do, and remember it lighting up like usual. The elevator then proceeded to go up and up and up and completely passed my floor. The ninth floor button was still lit up, though. Ten, eleven, twelve. I am paralyzed in shock and fear. I am scared of elevators, and I inwardly imagine if the elevator just kept going and crashed into the roof of the building. It goes up to fourteen, and then it says, P.H., the doors open. I am met with the most peculiar scene. I literally have stepped into someone's apartment. I'm in some sort of foyer, and I see hooks with some baseball cap. I glance into another room whose door was slightly ajar and see a kitchen, and there's a small bathroom in front of me. But none of that is as odd as the piece of paper taped to the door on my left that says police on it with do not cross yellow tape. At that point I noped out of there, but couldn't find stairs. So yes, I had to go back down the same elevator. When I got to the lobby of my building, I recounted this bizarre event to my doorman. 
His eyes widened, and he pointed out two things to me. The penthouse is only accessible by key, so you cannot click the PH button in the elevator and go there unless you insert a key and turn it. That's because, as I had already seen, the penthouse elevator opens directly into the apartment. The resident who lived in the penthouse apartment had just recently passed away the previous day. That leaves me to wonder, why did the elevator take me to the penthouse without the key and without me pressing the button and completely ignore my floor? Could the former resident have been going up to his place or playing a practical joke on me? Or was it merely a coincidence? I guess I'll never know the answer. When I was around eight, nine years old, my grandma had passed away. My mom and I stayed in her fifth wheel where she used to live on her own, and while I was eight, nine, I didn't have my own room, so I would sleep next to my mom. I don't really remember much, but one night I was awakened by my own sweat. I mean, burning up in the covers. I opened my eyes and let them adjust, and that's when I saw something on the dresser cut out. It was white and looked like it was leaning down to get a better look at me. I quickly put my head under the blanket and tried shaking my mom awake. She must have been in a deep sleep because it took a few tries. I want to mention that this was in a very, very rural area in Florida. There's no way light could come in through the window as our driveway was blocked by huge trees. It had a round head shape, but the rest I didn't get a good look because, well, I hid. My mom finally woke up shortly after and asked, panicked, what was wrong, and I told her. She's always mentioned I've had a gift, but I've become skeptical as I'm 25 now. However, recently I've been having really odd sleeps where I'm awakened by something. Same voice every time, saying hello, or what's the time? It's been hard to sleep as well. Ever since I was a child, I've been terrified of the dark and couldn't explain why. But when I close my eyes, I can feel things on me and even hear them. But when I open my eyes, it fades. Does anyone else have this issue? Is it something contacting me, or is it just the human body being strange like always? My other story was about a possible apparition moving through someone's kitchen. It got me thinking about when I was a kid, four or seven, really young, where I would wake up to go use the restroom in the middle of the night. Can't recall the time because I never really looked, but the house was dark, and I slept in my bedroom at the end of the second-story hallway. Across the hall was my brother's room. Down the hall to the left was an office room area. Directly down the hall was double doors leading to my parents' room and to the end of the hall at the right was the bathroom and stairs leading down. Now, I would leave my bedroom from the left side of the hall to use the bathroom, which would be directly catty-corner to my room, and I remember at least twice where there would be a dog-type silhouette. One time it was moving from the bathroom to the office area. The second time it was just sitting at the top of the stairs, staring in my direction. I remember this dog was huge, possibly the size of a large German Shepherd. It had pointed ears and a dull red glow in its eyes. I assume it was black, but it was always so dark I'd just see its silhouette. It terrified me, obviously. 
This could have been my imagination, but I hadn't watched scary movies like Pete Cemetery, or really any scary movies at all because of my age, so I had nothing to compare this figure to, or even suggest to myself mentally, like a nightmare or hallucination. I had no reference point, basically. Anyway, I did eventually see Pete Cemetery and woke up to an undead corgi beside my bed. But this was after the dark, dog-like figure. Years later, I believe. Any ideas? The house was only a few years old at the time and was built on farmland. To address any questions ahead of time, yes, we had a series of dogs growing up. However, at this time, we only had one named Ginger and... She was smaller than the figure I'd seen, maybe like 20, 25 pounds, and blonde or white. I, 22 female, have always had problems sleeping going back as far as the age of 7, 8. I didn't have the best childhood. Both my parents were drug addicts and split up when I was about 5. My father was abusive towards my mom and would cheat constantly when they were together. Due to that, my siblings and I were put in foster homes when I was six, seven. My sister and I were always together in the same homes, a total of three, and my older brothers were also moved from home to home, separate from us. Around the time we had all moved back in with my mom, my sleeping problems had gotten worse. I couldn't sleep. I would feel like I was being watched and would stay up as much as I could due to some chest pains and constant horrible nightmares. That would subside until high school. During high school, I would get sleep paralysis too, four times a night. If I were to take a nap during the day, I would also get sleep paralysis. I would just deal with it, up until I started to see shadows and hear voices during sleep paralysis. One night I had fallen asleep and woke up and saw a figure standing at the corner of the room. It was a lady dressed in all black with a veil over her head. She slowly approached me, then got on top of me and started screaming in my face. This terrified me. I had never experienced something like that before. During this time, I was also depressed. I didn't see her again or think about it until today. My friend came over and said that he had seen a lady wearing all black in front of me looking at me intensely, and when he turned and looked back, she was gone. What does this mean? The last time I had an encounter with her, I was very depressed, and although my mental state isn't the best right now, I am just slowly getting out of a depressed episode. I heard somewhere that she appears when you are close to death. How true is this? My dad, in 1978, was a Portland, Oregon policeman for 30 years. And once a year, I went with him while he did his police work for a book report at school or something. I was 12. He worked on the graveyard shift coming home at 4 in the morning, about 7 miles north of Hubbard, Oregon. We lived down a gravel road about 1 mile from a school. It was all gravel, but it was long enough for two cars to go past each other. And we were just you know, half asleep but awake. He and I both saw something leap across the road as if it had already been running. It jumped onto the whole road, which was at least ten feet wide. It didn't even step into the middle. 
It jumped off the edge of the ditch and right into the orchard next to where we lived. I looked at my dad, and he looked at me. He was a very quiet man, but we just said, What was that about? We got to the house and parked the car in the driveway, and we were both running, trying to get through the door as fast as we could. When I went to bed that night, I felt like it was morning because I was so anxious. I told my sister that we're moving my bunk beds to the far wall away from the window. Afterward, I didn't talk to anyone except my mom, and I didn't have any close friends, and school was out. But then it happened again. A week later, a doctor in his small red Volkswagen drove down the same road towards town. He saw the same thing and was so scared that he stopped at the police station. Of course, that got out, and it was written up in the paper and all that. It looked just like the Patterson one, referring to the Bigfoot creature filmed by Roger Patterson, except that it had lighter hair. Back when my mom was in the hospital, I stayed with her for five days. She was on the sixth floor, whereas the food court and snack machines were on the basement floor. I live in a small town, so our hospital is the only one with six floors. I rode up and down the elevator so much that I knew this place like the back of my hands. Anyway, one day I went down to get a drink and a Kit Kat. Everything was normal except the Coke machine card reader didn't work. When I got off the elevator on the sixth floor, there were just empty walls. There are no nurses' stations, no rooms, no painting, no furniture, nothing. I walked towards one end to see random-sized white buildings and the other end to see tall skyscrapers and a shiny metal window-type building. I called out over and over, but no one replied. I walked to the elevator stop and they were missing. I took out my phone to call the hospital to tell them I was lost, but my phone didn't have any bars. This was years ago with flip phone. I kept looking at the windows, hoping to find some sort of person to alert, but no one was down there. No cars for miles. After realizing I was literally screwed, panic attacks kicked in. I sat on the floor, staring at the wall, trying to calm myself down for a half hour. When I woke up, the place looked the same, except for the elevators. They were back, and I sighed of relief. I got in, pushed to the fifth floor of the maternity ward, and the doors shut. When they opened, there were the basic light-colored walls, borders trimmed with cute duckies and the sounds of people talking and babies crying. I found the fire escape and figured I'd take my chances on getting to Mom's floor. I opened the door and I was back on the sixth floor, the real one. I walked into Mom's room and she said, That was fast. I told her I must have been gone for over an hour. But she said I had been gone for less than five minutes. I looked at the TV, and the bold and the beautiful was still on. It's a 30-minute show. I don't know what happened to me or where I was, but I still don't trust elevators. This one time I was swimming in Lake Michigan. It was late at night, and I just had a few beers before jumping off my uncle's boat for a swim. I was in the water for maybe five minutes, and my uncle and cousin shined the spotlight on me. I will never forget the look of sheer terror on their faces and the yelling that ensued. 
I felt something slimy wrap around my leg and torso, and I started thrashing violently. I managed to get back into the boat, and on looking back, I saw the biggest, meanest-looking bunch of kelp I had ever seen. To this day, no one knows what happened to my uncle and cousin. I was asleep one night in December of 2012 at my home in Montgomery, Alabama. I had been experiencing a deep fascination with UFO phenomena, questioning reality and a deep spiritual awakening. I felt as if I had. Had similar experiences in my youth to what I'm about to describe, but could never really remember details as I do with this episode. Keep in mind, I'm a mother and a professional and do not want to be deemed as crazy. I have only shared this info with my husband right after it happened. I felt as if I was dreaming and I was back in my childhood home, several miles from where I actually was. In the dream, I woke up and wandered outside as if I was being called to do so. I was then in my former neighbor's front yard. There was a silver disc with three wonderful human-like beings. One felt male and the other two felt female. This was a sort of telepathic feeling. I just sensed who they were and they felt familiar to me, almost like meeting long-lost relatives. They emanated in an incredible feeling of peace, love and other things that I just cannot put into words. They ushered me into the craft. We ascend straight up. I don't really know what was going on outside the craft, although it did not ascend by any means we know of today. The craft itself was operated by one of the female beings. The craft seemed to know her. The male and other female sat on either side of me. We had a deep conversation about life existence and our purpose here on Earth. We then arrived wherever where. I have no idea where. Again, just felt familiar. We exited the craft and we were inside of a building. There were many more beings of the same type. The area was large, very beautiful and bright. There was an enormous sitting area where we continued to discuss very deep subject matter. The other entities were also communicating. It was like a council or a meeting. I felt such incredible love that I did not want to leave. Suddenly they told me that I had to come back that I would be okay and they would always be with me. I suddenly woke up in my bed. I dismissed it as a lovely dream. A couple days later, while checking my mailbox, I noticed a circular pattern in the grass in my front yard. The grass was bent over, much like you would see in a crop circle. I asked my husband what it was, and he had no idea. Then I realized that the dream had actually occurred, and the craft had landed in my front yard. I told my husband about this, and of course he dismissed it. We only talked about it again recently. It came up in conversation, and I said what could have caused the indentation, and I wished I had taken a picture to which he replied we should have had the soil sample. He admitted that when I first showed him, the first thought he had was UFO, and then after telling him the story, he was so internally shaken up, he couldn't think about it. 